0: Welcome to Queerability, the weekly podcast where we look at the amazing brilliance, resilience and creativity of everyday queer people. I'm your host, Nick Cousin. Today we're talking to the wonderful and insanely funny drag artist Nathan, also known as Topsy Redfern. I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Nathan has an amazing story of self-discovery. Nathan grew up wanting to be on the West End. They have gone on to creating many female roles on stage, such as Mary Sunshine from Chicago, till being persuaded to do drag. Through drag, Topsy was catapulted into the UK drag cabaret scene. Nathan and I discuss how their birth heritage, acting career, sexual identity and Topsy all helped them to develop a strong queer ability. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Topsy, for coming on. Um, so we just want to start with what is your best recent moment?
1: My best recent moment? Um, well, I... Uh, you actually were a witness to one of my best recent moments. Um, through lockdown, um, after having a year and a half of not doing much, you know, like everyone else sitting on the sofa completing Netflix, etc. Uh, I thought I'd better do something productive. Uh, so I also turned 40 during lockdown. Uh, so it was a bit of a reflective time so um, I created a new show called Topsy Redfern's Crystal Balls uh, which was a really um, fascinating process and it was just really enjoyable because it was looking back at my family history which I didn't know a lot about one side of it so I was kind of uh, discovering a lot about my family and reconnecting with family members which was amazing and um, it was also kind of Edu- thinking about being queer and how I feel about that now, but giving it some that like, conscious thought mm. rather than um, just living life. It was good to just step outside and see where I'm at with life and how far I've come and where I've still got to go. Um, so that was really great. But just to put something on that you've written or co-written with someone else, it's just a, a different kind of joy to standing on stage and doing um, something someone else has written. I mean, it feels like it's totally yours and you own it. And people just seem to be getting a lot out of the show. It's resonating with people. People are moved by it. It's making people think. So, uh, yeah, it just feels like a really special moment in, in life. Yeah. Lots of things together to make, make it happen. Um, and after a year and a half of not performing and not having that adrenaline rush it's been like super cool just to get back on stage um and entertain again because that's my favorite thing to do even though it terrifies me I have to do it for some reason I need therapy
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's amazing to like be able to put on your own thing like that's like it's like a um my nan, she used to work in film, she used to say, like, you know, when you, when you do a project, like a film, it's like having a baby because it's like it takes all that effort. And then it's one big push. And then all of a sudden you have this thing that has to go out into the
1: world. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you make babies and, um, you know, they're not what you hope they'd be, you know. Uh, so I feel like we've made a really pretty baby that everyone loves. <laughs> and, so, I've, you know, you, you do shows sometimes and you're like, oh, I don't know if the audience really like this or whatever, but it's just really fun to be in something that you, you know people are really loving and, you know, so I'm very, very proud of it, so it's a oh, great thing.
0: Brilliant, and I'm sure we'll get onto uh, Topsy Redfin's Crystal Balls later on, but can we just start from like the beginning? So like, can you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are and like your coming out journey, your self-discovery?
1: Out Journey. So uh, I was born in Stoke on Trent, and uh, my parents were both cabaret performers. They were kind of both working class people that had kind of sung their way up the social ladder a little bit. Um, And then we moved to Yorkshire, um, and I grew up there in a place called Harrogate, which is a really lovely middle class town where everything seems right with the world and um my family are really great and uh supportive and loving I couldn't ask for a better family but you know in terms of coming out and stuff I just remember growing up feeling like I was different from the rest of them Mm -hmm. even though I felt like I belonged to them and you know there's that sense when you're, you're you're queer that you're something a bit off center about me and I don't really know quite what it is yet um and then I just remember trying to kind of not deal with a lot of that because there was no language for it really at the time in the 80s and 90s in Yorkshire um it was still under section 28 so school at schools you couldn't be taught um or or gay icons or relationships couldn't be promoted, otherwise teachers could be sacked or criminalised. On television, there was no representation. So, uh, you know, I just knew that I was different. And I kind of knew that I, like, fancied boys, but I used to make myself look at the girls and, like, force myself to (laughs) not look at the boys. And it kind of just went on like that, really, bubbling under under the surface. Uh, It wasn't really until I moved away to go to university that there was kind of like the space to to deal with any of of those issues. Because people call um, me gay, queer and stuff at school. So I, I kind of had a sense that that's probably what I was, but I don't know if... I don't know if you've ever felt this. It's kind of like people often give you these labels before you've had time to figure it out yourself. Yeah. There's something something really unfair about that, I think. Do you know what I mean? It's like we should should be left the space to realise what our identity is without someone forcing it on on you. And something happened to me recently, actually, which was really interesting. In making the show, Crystal Balls, some uh, the director and writer Sarah she said that some friends of hers have said to her in the past uh, because I work in drag etc when is, when is Nathan going to realise he's a woman mm. and I just, I just thought like how dare you do you know what I mean like, yeah. I know why people do it but it's like I don't know. I just found it really upsetting that someone else has the right to tell you what you are or what you should be do you know what I mean
0: yeah it's kind of like that thing where you know especially like at school like my experiences were like everyone else could see oh that I was gay before I could even I even realize myself so it's like yeah. I you know everyone kind of yeah I was like they kind of had that kind of expectation where people were treating me differently because they could see that I was different but I didn't think I was different and I'm not like it's just saying that like that odd it's odd how it's so easy to like, oh, you know, when sexuality, if someone is gay, people are be like, oh, they're gay. So they're therefore, they're, you have to treat them like this or like that. And so I can kind of really empathise with that kind of understanding, like that frustration of, like, can you just leave me alone? <laughs> like, can you? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, and, you know, we need to be given our own time. It definitely took me uh, time to kind of come to terms with not come to terms because that sounds like it's something I don't want to, to happen and that's not the case. I remember there was a time when I was like, I don't want to be gay, but now I wouldn't change for the world. Mm. Uh, but yeah. the, I think when you grow up, even, uh, I know my family are great, you know, these odd homophobic comments that slip into everyday conversation. Uh, I mean, less, it happens less over time, but it's still there. You know, my mum was saying, oh, look at that bloody big puff on the television. When, you know, when you turn television on, it's Dale, Mar- Dale Winton's supermarket sweep or something. Like when you're a kid, those things, like, sting you and wound yeah. you. Um, so, you know, it takes, I think it takes, like, a lifetime to get rid of yeah. all that negative uh, associations that you build up about your identity or society tells you that you're wrong or different or... Yeah or lesser um and I remember going through university, I went to university in Durham and it was quite a a, a, a old boys, straight um posh university in the UK. Uh, And there wasn't really much of a gay scene there. It was very kind of masculine, sporty, rowing kind of culture. But uh I, I was out but I didn't Advertise it, and I remember it was an LGBT uh, QIA plus society, but Mm. like I I didn't want to be part of that crowd. I mean, like you know, wearing rainbow flags and uh, flagrantly displaying their sexuality for all to see. I mean, I definitely still carried a lot of uh, embarrassment about it.
0: Kind of messages like of like second twenty eight, and you know, especially like. A's at the time, like that was a lot of messaging for gay people is like, you know, um, gay diseases, gays spreading all these diseases and everything. And like, that's the only message is we can promote uh, LGBTQ lifestyles in a positive way. So the only way it was, it was negative or stereotypical, like the over caricature people. So I was like, I was just wondering like your experiences about surrounding, you know, what was that like? Was the, did you take that chain? Going forward,
1: yeah, it's definitely something that stuck with me. I have a vivid memory of EastEnders when the character Arthur Fowler, his son Mark, I think the character was called, uh, came out as being HIV positive, and he'd eaten uh, dinner with his family, and the knives and forks had been in the sink, and like his dad was rifling through uh, the, the dirty dishes to try and find which knife and fork was his, so he could like throw them in the bin. Yeah. And, uh, it, that was like, kind of really hit me. Like images like that yeah. are, are so strong, um, and like also how like when it, when you're when you're gay, it feels like sometimes your whole identity is about the sex act, mm. and that's the only thing people see you as. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like people. Uh, you know if you get to a wedding and it's a a man and a woman you know they're going to get on their honeymoon and do whatever but that's not the first thing people think about Yeah, have a lovely family isn't that wonderful you know I feel like when it's two two guys or two girls there's kind of these associations that it's all about sex and when you're growing up and you haven't even had sex yet uh, and you know it's something you don't talk about to, yeah. to think your parents are thinking that about you. Do you know what I mean, yeah, thinking about bumming, thinking about bumming every time they yeah they tell you all about you. It's just mortifying what I was growing up. <laughs> yeah, when you, you think know. yeah, when
0: you think of it like that, that's it's, that's really true. It's, it's like sexualizing overly sexualizing people.
1: It, it reduces like a whole person to just that. I think in, yeah. in, in, in society a little bit. Um, but I do think the AIDS thing really has hung heavy throughout my life, this association of death mm. and sex um, and a massive fear. Um, I think that's why prep is such an amazing thing. You yeah. know I mean, it's like allows, allows you to have sex without this kind of weight bearing down on you all the time. Um, yeah. So it's, it definitely has had a massive impact. And I think later generations are, are lucky that, that, that kind of the times have changed uh, and it, it feels even from, I'm, I'm 40 now, it feels like uh, say my nephew who's gay, he probably wouldn't have the same attitudes towards sex as I would, Yeah, which is a good thing. it's a
0: lot more open now like the, i mean we have like you know more role models more people are out there the exposure is not so underground anymore
1: Mm, mm, yeah and also like i think it's really cool now how um you know especially with the adoption of the word queer that it's all a bit more fluid and uh people are allowed to experiment and try things and, and not commit to Anything, whereas as I felt, you know, you were you were this, you were gay, or you, were, you know, you couldn't be bisexual because that was just greedy, or, <laughs> or you're straight. I mean, it's like there was never any room for anyone that was like slightly in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now that, that's the great thing about uh, kind of queer identity is that people are allowed to change and evolve through life and make discoveries, and. I think a greater understanding of the difference between sexuality and gender as well. Yeah. Kind of how they interplay and how they're different. Yeah. yeah I, I feel, like I always felt a massive shame about being girly. I think that was more than being gay. I think being mistaken as a girl when I was growing up, being feminine, it's like the worst stereotype of a gay man. It's like when you come out, oh, oh, you're gay son, Please tell me you don't put women's clothes on. Do you know what I mean, it's like yes. the worst version of yeah. a gay man uh, from like mainstream society. Yeah. So I've kind of grown up feeling kind of, even though to be more feminine is natural for me, uh, I definitely tried to butch up a lot when I was growing up. Um, and I think when I eventually came to do Topsy, be a drag queen uh, it kind of, it's kind of allowed me like, safely to explore my feminine side mm-hmm. in a, a world where that's celebrated, uh, and safe. Um, and, and through doing that, I think, uh, Topsy's kind of seeped back into me and made me much comfortable with myself, you know, walking down the street with painted nails or, uh, swooshy clothes or long hair, uh, and now I kind of enjoy being different. Yeah, being unique and being stared at. Like I'm like if people don't stare at me. I'm Like why is no one looking at me? What's <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, rather than trying to blend in. You know, I feel like I'm uh, doing drag has really helped me find. You know, be proud of my yeah. uniqueness. So when you finished
0: university, did you find drag then, or like what was?
1: No, no, so um, I went to, I finished university um, and then I, I went to drama school and uh, studied musical theatre at Guildford School of Acting yeah. uh, I wanted to be uh, like Michael Ball yeah. well, well, I didn't have a cooler hero that was a geek. <laughs> Sorry Michael, if you're listening uh, You are cool You'll always be cool for me <laughs> Yeah, and I went to drama school, but Again, again, because it was a time when there wasn't a lot of gay representation on television and uh, theatre, etc. Even though it was fine to be gay, you had to be able to act straight. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because if you, you know, there was a lot of you need to be more grounded. You need to butch up. Uh, you'll never work. Uh, yeah, if you, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas now. A lot of the work I get is kind of to do with being girly. I spent most of my career playing like female parts. Really? <laughs> but then a massive emphasis on not doing that. Like, I, 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 at the end of my second year, I got told in um, some feedback to stop being my hair. That was like the only feedback they gave me. I think they meant stop being bouncy and voluminous and Yeah. Energetic. They wanted me to be more grounded, which essentially was be a man. <laughs> <Something ago. laughs> how did that feel to get that kind of feedback though so? oh I don't know but I, again it was I remember feeling like oh I know I've got to do that if I want to play the parts that I want to play but I don't quite know how to access it Yeah, you know it's like, like language that I didn't know how to speak you know I often feel like that with straight men like I got twin sister and grew up around lots of women and lots of gay friends. Like, I kind of don't feel like I ever learned, like, the rules of straight men, how they talk, how to be with <laughs> each other. Uh, so even if I'm acting at jobs where I have to be a bit straighter or butcher, like, I'm a bit like, I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> I've been trying to do that the whole life and never quite figured it out. Yeah, I get terrified if a director says, you know, butch it up. I'm like, how? <laughs> I'm how, to, how do you be butch?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's quite a, like, is that kind of like a stereotypical thing? Like they want men to be like butchy, masculine men and women to be like the frivolous girly types? Because is that like the thing
1: in acting? Yeah, yeah. And, and even, even like doing um, Ugly Sister in... Um, In pantomime. uh, So the British tradition is it's kind of a a bloke in a dress and it's clearly a man, often a bigger guy, 50s, 40s, 60s, whatever. Uh, I I was doing that uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, but like you put a dress and some makeup on me and like, that's like a a real girl. So I remember this one director screaming at me, You need to be a bloke in a dress. I can't, I can't, I don't know what to do. It. Um, but, you know, so I, I just ended up being like a really horrible older sister and really mean and bratty. And yeah, uh, it worked and we got good reviews. And then he really liked me once we got good reviews. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like finding your own kind of voice, really. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, trying to be someone else doesn't really work all the time.
1: No, absolutely. So always find your own voice always even even in drag i think it's uh especially with RuPaul and stuff there's like a lot of homogenization of drag and you have to do x y and z but i think you've got to find like what, your uniqueness i suppose as RuPaul would say yeah uh, yeah always, oh yeah always come do you do drag
0: oh i've done it uh, i did like a whole summer where I was, I, well, I my summer project was to do a drag to become a drag queen for like into a show at the end. So I taught myself how to do makeup. I taught myself, you know, basic stuff. Um, people gave me quotes and everything. I did try it.
1: Um, Benefit of the listeners, he would make a very good drag queen because he's got a very pretty face. I'm sure you were gorgeous, darling. Oh, thank you.
0: Name? Uh, it was poppy pills. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was a uh, clamor- prescribed medication or <laughs> yeah.
0: well, basically the idea of the-, the character was that she was basically in- born into a clown family, but she wants to be a supermodel and she got uh-huh. a depression because she could never be a supermodel because she was a clown. So she would like the idea was like she would go on the runway, but then she would have like a train of like uh, the, cl- the cloths coming out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: or like she'd sneeze and then like a flowers would pop out <laughs> so she can, never, she can never really get away from her clown heritage
1: <laughs> i love that that's brilliant <laughs> so how did the hat or something oh, yeah. that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. performance
0: no i mean like it was kind of like a summer thing like i probably it's um i found it quite It was quite a it's quite a tough thing to get into, like, honestly, drag. It's a very um, it's it's a one. It's an expensive hobby when you first start.
1: (laughs) Like, you know, it it, it pays quite well, I think, if you're doing it a lot, but a big portion of your money goes on the act of being a drag queen, the makeup. Yeah, uh, you know, the the traveling. Yeah.
0: the digs yeah everything and there's so much you need to learn like you know editing your music uh just makeup in itself is an art editing music is an art you know styling yourself properly it's it's a lot and if anyone is ever listening shaving yourself is awful for like when you do it long over a long period of time I used to shave like my whole body just to be with it, and honestly, it is awful. Like, so I always get like when people when I always hear like men's like say like oh you know women need to shave or anything. I'm just like you do it for three months and see how you feel. You know if they want to like if if they want to take a little break from shaving, that is their choice.
1: <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? I, I I I'm really hairy naturally, but I shave my arms. I have done for years and years now, and like I can't bear it if they're hairy now. Really. I can't look can't look at them yeah it's like not me anymore
0: (laughs) yeah just like because i'm quite like i'm dark skinned like mediterranean so like the hair does come out quite quickly as well so it's like four times like three four times a week i was gonna like it's
1: every day in the shower doing quick Uh, maybe we should be east london drag queens because they're all hairy yeah hairy chest hairy legs
0: When you finished uni, you went to drama school, and what happened then after?
1: Actually, who was uh, a lovely actor. Paul Michael Matus, we were together for four years. Um, I started working as an actor and also lots of times as a waiter and teacher in between acting jobs. Um, and then just when I was on the verge of giving up because, you know, I was like, oh, I've always wanted to be, always wants to be in the West End and it just isn't happening. Uh, I remember I was in bed crying to Michael saying, I think I've had enough, I don't think I can do it anymore. And then I got a phone call from my agent the very next morning telling me that uh, I would been cast as Mary Sunshine in the musical Chicago in the West End. I was like, oh my God, the timing of this is amazing. Uh, so even though I played lots of, like, female characters, cross-dressing roles in other stuff, I think that was the show that kind of put me on the drag trajectory. Because after the show, we used to hang out in a place called Madam Jojo's. don't know if you know Madam Jojo's. Mm. Uh, It's in London. It was a cabaret club that was famous for decades, and it got closed down because they kind of kicked the prostitutes out of, Soho and gentrified right. it. Uh, in some of the redevelopment of all that, it kind of it got it got uh, closed down. But that was the first time I ever saw drag queens, really. And uh, uh, me and Michael split up, and I moved in with a drag queen called uh, Lady Daru, and uh, she was like, "Dear, you need to be a drag queen. You'd you you you'd, you'd make a killing addict, babe. You should do it." And I was like, "Oh no, I'm not <laughs> a drag queen. And worse than that." To- how totally down market and tacky to be a drag queen, (laughs) to to not very long after. Um, And it kind of just started off as the day job, because I didn't want to do teaching in between acting jobs because I love kids, but there's only so much, like, not all the time. (laughs) And and, uh, it started off just singing in a bar, really, in a dress with no character or anything. Uh, with nothing to say in between the songs Uh, and then just like getting it wrong a million times and being shit dying and then figuring out oh what would I do next time if that happens to me and then gradually Topsy has evolved Uh, and uh, yeah it's crazy really Yeah, and and, like always amazes me that people come back and Watch again, do you know what I mean? I'm like, are you coming to watch this whole shit again, dear? <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're very entertaining. So...
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're very sweet. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's good. It's good. It's a good lifestyle. It's, it's surprising, surprisingly secure compared yeah. to acting because in acting jobs, you might have one and then you've got nothing for months and months. Mm-hmm. But you can kind of, once you get onto the circuit, you can kind of all year round work doing drag, which is cool. Yeah. That's quite
0: cool. So how did you kind of keep yourself motivated to, you know, going through those like really long periods of like not much happening? So like.
1: I don't know, really. I've got my philosophy is if you throw enough shit at a wall, some of it's going to stick. I don't know, like, I've just always known that I have to do it. Like it's in me, it's what I want to do. And sometimes, like, the best things happen when you fail or don't get the job or you're feeling crap. That's often the times I find that I'm motivated to do something creative or try something new, which leads to other great stuff. Yeah. I think success always comes from failing. Um, but, yeah, yeah stubbornness and pride, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. I need... I need to prance around and show off. Yeah. There's no feeling like it, though. Like being on stage when things are going well and there's an audience, and you've, uh, I always think it's like riding a wave if you're, uh, if you're surfing. Like, quite often you won't catch a wave and you're, you know, just on stage doing your thing. But sometimes, like, you catch the wave and it's just like the most magical moment. Yeah. And you feel so powerful because you think, I know that they're going to laugh if I say this. I know they're going to do that. Yeah, I don't know. It's a kind of it's a kind of magic that is just amazing. Better yeah. than sex.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: it's, like, <laughs> it's like kind of like euphoria, isn't it? Just being on stage and you know people laughing with you, not at you.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I you know I love it. Oh, the adrenaline pumping, which I, it's just a, being an adrenaline junkie, really. I I think. Um, yeah so you, you're a performer as well um, I, I used to
0: like um amateur acting that was yeah. my thing um so I used to at uh, the drama like drama society at school um I played a very gay Demetrius from <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> nice um, I think everyone could tell I was not interested in the two girls I was more interested in the other guy <laughs> uh-huh.
1: That sounds like a much more fun play. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think so. I think that was, I thought it was like, it was kind of, I was like, Shakespeare would have loved that because it's all about people falling in love with the wrong person. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I always fall in love with the wrong person, unfortunately. <laughs> Story
0: of our lives. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um. But yeah, like for me, like performing is just something that kind of comes and goes in waves. So, like, I mean, it, it is something that I have, I'm not shy to do, but like, it just seems like, you know, as you kind of, I kind of went away. I wanted to work in film for ages, but I ended up with COVID kind of getting away from that and kind of starting this, the podcast and everything, which has been, which is really lovely because still part of my creativity, get to like talk to so many interesting people learn so many about them. Um But, you know, there is always that kind of, you know, that passion of wanting to perform again and all that stuff. So,
1: yeah, once you've been bitten by the bug, you've got yeah. to do it.
0: There is nothing, else, there's nothing like that when, you know, you, you just walk out on that stage and the lights turn on and, you know.
1: Oh, and like, um, my twin sister's not really a performer, but my niece, Pippi, Ava, she's called, who's um, at four, like, I just know that she's going to do it. You know, you see her on stage already at four and she's kind of just got it and she loves it. Yeah. You know, so young. I honestly kind of think it's in our DNA if we're meant to do it.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like always that kind of calling. Um, my nan, again, like she used to say that, you know, you know, arts don't choose, you don't choose the arts, they choose you kind of thing. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 absolutely. So what was
0: it like to, you know, have that kind of idea of I'm going to be on the West End, and then going through so long and not achieving it, and then actually finally getting there and having those lights turn on? Oh,
1: it's amazing. It was an amazing experience. I mean, just... Having set a goal and achieving it is always a really wonderful thing. Um, and I think the fact that it wasn't an easy route makes you appreciate it all the more. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the best thing about being in a really uh, uh, swishy job is the fact that you could brag, brag to people about it. The actual day-to-day of it, it was actually um, the hard work and repetitive and, you know, pleasing all the... D- Different production team members and coming, yeah. giving you various different notes. Well, actually, doing something like drag is way more creative in many ways. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Rather than being in the 17th cast of Lamez and being told to stand at this point and do it like that. Like yeah. uh, I I really enjoy the creativity that drag brings and um, things like crystal balls. Um, the kind of writing, creating, developing side of it as well, is, 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 is just as fun. Yeah. Quite often, once you've done, once you've done so many uh, runs of a show, you're just in a loop then. Do you know what I mean, but drag's always exciting because you don't know who's in the audience, you don't know what they're going to heckle out. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to live by the seat of your pants.
0: That's one thing I've always like. I like admire with drag queens about how quick they can respond. Like, it's one of the most amazing talents I've ever seen. Like, skills to learn.
1: Oh god, the, the times when you're like, oh my god, there's just blackness in my brain, and there's no <laughs> work. The more, the more you do it, the more you you build up the roller decks of things.
0: Yeah, because it just comes with the experience of.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Most things drag queens say they've probably said before.
0: All oh, right, <laughs> that's
1: the secret. <laughs> you build know, you up your repertoire as you go. To like when I first started, I've got, I was like, I've got two jokes and that's it for the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. But that's in my free time, I don't like doing anything scary like roller coasters or um, watching horror films because I feel like most of my life is spent in perpetual fear and nerves about performing, but... In my free time. I don't want any fear or terror at all,
0: <laughs> and That's quite fair it's, Yeah performing can be quite scary So like how, how did Like how how do you get over it Or
1: you just, you just kind of go push
0: through Because it's like if you're having stage fright
1: How does uh, Honestly uh, my mum was the same She used to nearly be sick sometimes Before she went on stage Like I just get terrified um, I think I know now that It's going to be alright most of the time mm. So it's just having a little psychological game with myself. Don't be stupid. Yeah. It, it always goes all right. It's going to go all right this time. But every time before I go on stage, I'm like, why do I do this for a living? This is a stupid idea. Yeah. Get a sensible job.
0: <laughs> that's, that's what it's more, it's more exciting and fun, I think, just to live life a little bit more on the edge, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you... Mentioned in your show is, and I because I, I wanted to talk about it, and because I think it's quite a interesting thing is about um, the drag t- the drag queen story time. You know, it's such yeah. a it's such a hot topic on social media.
1: Uh, oh. God, yeah. like we we had a, an article that Sarah Chu, my co writer for Crystal Balls, put in Independent, and it was touching on drag queen story time, and some of the comments. That people were leaving uh, about the article—it was just horrifying and disgusting that people have these mm. views. I mean, yes, drag is an adult form of entertainment, uh, but you know, credit performers with knowing what audience they're playing to. Yeah, um, you know if if I was dressed as a pirate, no one would give a damn if I was reading stories to children or not. Do you know what I mean? But again, it's connected to the fact that it's men wearing dresses and they're probably gay. So it's just so much homophobia involved. And still this fear that children are going to be converted or in some way by the experience. Yeah, uh, You know, it's just like, ridiculous fears when in reality a world where children grow up knowing that gay people exist lesbians exist, people with two dads uh, people of different races whatever, like that representation is important because if that representation exists then it's just part of the fabric of everyday life Something to put an eyelid and as long as you're teaching people to respect each other's differences and be kind, which is what I can do when I'm doing drag story time, then the world would just be like a much better place. Like if, when I was growing up, being gay was something not talked about, hidden away. So it's not a surprise when people suddenly come across it when they're teenagers, that it's weird and it's strange and something, other, something to be horrible about because they haven't been taught about it. Yeah, you know, We all are about things that we don't know about. Um, Yeah, it just makes me sad that in this day and age, there's still such negativity surrounding it. On the other hand, there's loads, I meet loads of really cool families that really want to bring up um, open-minded, liberal, uh, kind children, and that's really heartwarming that there's so many people out there that want want to do that. You know, and they've they've got no uh, connection with being a LGBTQIA plus themselves, but, they want their kids to know that this is a, a, a normal and, and totes cool thing. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, I, in story Storytime, it's amazing. I, if we do get uh, uh, gay, lesbian, trans people, etc., watching it uh, and me reading the stories, it becomes emotional when, when you've grown up and... There's a story called The Prince and the Night that I read. And it's basically like a Disney love story. But, you know, we only got stories about boys and girls getting together mm-hmm. and to sit and read a story about two men getting together uh, as it should be, as a really normal thing. It feels really, really emotional. Like it often nearly makes me cry when I'm doing it. And you can see that in some of the audience as well. Um, because it just means so much that it's allowed to be part of the mainstream. And even when I started doing Drag Queen Storytime a few years ago, I was still embarrassed to read that story to the straight families that came. Yeah. You know, so even, even at like, it may like, in my late thirties, having been a drag queen for a long time, there was still this sense of like shame about it that I uh, was carrying around. But I think it's only been the last couple of years that I'm like. No, actually, you know, we, these, these stories have to be told. Yeah. It's important that we tell these stories because otherwise people make up their own stories about you, which might not be favorable. Yeah. What do you think was
0: the switch for you that made you change that you were like, no, I'm not going to let this, the shame take over and I'm going to push through?
1: I don't know. It was, it was kind of, unconscious that I was doing it and then suddenly I realized that I was kind of embarrassed about it again I think it was in my mind connected to the fact that oh well two men uh it's about sex blah blah blah, blah. these are the children so wow. I can I'm i absorbing what society hmm. is feeding me yeah. um but you know there's gonna be some kids we do all, all age groups that watch it that they're going to see a story uh, that, that resonates with them and it means that they grow up not feeling weird or strange or different yeah. or there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. You know, none of us should grow up feeling like there's something wrong with us. Yeah.
0: You
1: know, that's not, that's not a, a place that's nice, you know. Uh, you know, it's like, or being in, you in, sometimes see people in families and there's a, a gay sibling, and it's almost like they're the lesser member of the family, etc. It's like, no, no, that's not right. You know, we, we deserve as much space, time, uh, limelight, spotlight, love. Yeah. Back to anyone else. Yeah. So I think that's why I think drag queen storytime is really important, uh, and there's such there's such great uh, stories now There's a massive list list of queer literature for children uh, and families to read, uh, uh, which is which is great. And uh, the show actually, Crystal Balls uh, is exploring my traveller heritage and. Yeah. Um, Uh, I was speaking to uh, a gentleman that runs Traveller Pride, which is uh, uh, a pride for travelling community. And there's actually a children's book being written about gay travellers as well, which are massively underrepresented in the media. So that was heartwarming to hear the other day.
0: Yeah. I mean, because I think we should go into a little bit of crystal balls and then, you know, because like, I think it's, um, yeah, it's like, I think it's one of the, it's a very like really heartfelt story, but you put such a funny spin on it. It really draws the, like it drew me in completely. Um, yeah. And like you, you you taught so much about like traveler community and everything that a lot of people don't hear. So what was
1: it like connecting to your travel heritage? Well, so my great great grandmother was a fortune teller in the fairground. She'd run away uh, she was uh, born in Bristol. She'd run away with uh, my great-great-granddad, Edwin Kylie, who was an Irish traveller and a showman. So that means that he worked in the fairgrounds. Uh, and she developed this persona, Madame Olga, um, and she ended up telling fortunes of quite a lot of rich and famous people. And I, I, I always remember being fascinated by that as a kid because it's such a romantic notion of a gypsy fortune teller. Yes. Yeah sounds really cool, but then when you say to people, oh, I'm from Irish Traveller Heritage, growing up, you could always see like an element of kind of distaste, distaste about it almost in people. So something that I thought was a really cool thing. I, I kind of would always think, oh, people, other people don't think that's that cool. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's just interesting doing the research on the show speaking to people who are travelers uh um just about how many negative stereotypes are uh, talked about in the media etc or by people in everyday life and like how acceptable it is like the racist comments you hear about travelers that wouldn't be tolerated about any other culture or or race it, it's, it's like really shocking um uh, and it's a uh, a bit helped me understand. I suppose why those stereotypes have come to be. Um, you know, like traveling communities have uh, had the the land that they're legally allowed to use for traveling it's been, it's been reduced and reduced and reduced. So then the uh, by the government, so there's um, they have to camp illegally which then gets them in trouble with the law. Uh, it can get them. Uh, Social services involved; they can have children taken away. It becomes like a cycle. Uh, it's almost yeah. like a, 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 the way of life is kind of criminalized, um, yeah. which, is, uh, which is which is which r- is really crappy. Um, and even education of traveller kids is the budgets are cut. So how how do you hope to have integration yeah. or, or traveller communities to have a voice if there's no education? It's kind of like slightly silencing. Yeah. That all those, those communities. Um, but also like, it traditionally like travelers would maybe, uh, as, as well as the show people that brought the fair around the town, they, they would be like, they'd have a trade maybe knife grinders so that would come and grind grind the knives of people or they'd sell pegs. And that was, so it was like, oh, the peg lady's coming around, or I need some more pegs. So yeah. uh, there was a usefulness uh, to travelers uh, where, where society accepted that because they were perceived to have a value, etc. But as society changes and we don't need pegs or knife branders anymore, mm. then then people are less inclined to find value in them, which
0: yeah.
1: is not a good thing because it's like uh, you know we own you know we only like gay gay people that are talented or good or uh, you know i don't like people of color unless they're really good at sport or whatever do you know what i mean it's like yeah. just because you've got a skill or a value doesn't make you better person fundamentally i don't think or more acceptable
0: yeah. no that does make um, sense like it does make sense like if you are someone who's not part of the majority to fit in, you have to excel at something. So I think this is why a lot of, you know, minorities, they have to be the best sportsmen. They have to be the funniest comedians. They have to be the best because if they weren't, they would get no recognition at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's even even with the footballers recently uh, uh, in the England final, yeah. uh, the, the gents that missed the penalties, like, uh, uh, their skin colour was not an issue until they missed the penalties and then suddenly they get held with the racist abuse. I just think it's it's really disgusting. Yeah. You know, you know, while 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 the team was winning and on a run, no one was giving any racist comments about them then. Do you know what I mean? They were the yeah. heroes. But how easily you can turn from hero to zero, I suppose, if if you're not providing what you what is considered you should be providing, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah
0: but it's like I think you get that kind of even within like just you know the, like the, what what they call them uh, what microaggressions right so it's like if you were if you were if you're like say gay a gay male for something and you're having a bad day it's like oh because he's gay you know kind of something like it's kind of similar to like that kind of idea um was I was like like I think it was um, um i read somewhere online uh, could be making this up as well, but like I just remember like one of these qu- comments on like Facebook and everything was like, um, to like the LGBTQ because our you know mental health is so high and it's so rampant that like people were saying when a gay man commits suicide, it's like, well, of course he commits suicide. They're like the the um the depression mafia, you know? Because you know it's yeah. like, and it's like you know maybe instead of saying like, there's a lot of the, like kind of that association that being gay is. Like a part of mental health, like you're gonna have mental health because you're gay. It's like I know it's not oh, like, because of society, except yeah. us
1: that's all the mental health
0: issues, yeah. And it kind of goes back to this, like, this minorities have to over produce and over you know be the best, be the happiest, be the, all the time, and they kind of put a lot of stress on the individual,
1: yeah. And you know, I think that really ties in fundamentally with my being a performer. is growing up feeling not fitting in and being different it's a way of uh please like me please clap me please tell me i'm good do you know what i mean i think it really comes from that place of like overcompensating because feeling that that growing up feeling that i was slightly lesser
0: yeah
1: um God, maybe I should stop being a performer then. Maybe <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <I need laughs> therapy. Maybe I should have therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah.
0: need therapy. Like I, I think you know, sometimes you just need people to talk to, you know, that's always that's just enough sometimes. So absolutely. So I think one, that I was gonna say, like, I was gonna change the subject. I was gonna say, like, so what does the future look like for you right now?
1: Oh, God, it's such a weird thing thinking about the future at the moment, isn't it, with everything that's happened with Covid. Uh, uh, I don't know, the future Sprite, I think things are going well. The top on the cabaret side. Um, Crystal Balls is continuing to have a life uh, and probably will do uh, next year. Hopefully all theatre will happen at the Young Vic and the House Music Opera. Yeah. Um, or happened for the first time, thank you, COVID. (laughs) uh, I don't know, I'm just excited that things are opening up again and um, seeing what adventures are in store. I think the great thing about the life of a performer is uh, you don't really know what's around the corner. Mm. Um, Suddenly you're off doing some cool job or gig that you never imagined. yeah, and I think that's why I couldn't have a real job. In the lockdown, I was working for NHS 111 and I, I, I liked it at first. Um, but, you know, doing the same thing every day repetitively, I, thought, I, could, I could not do it forever and ever. I, I literally... So give me kind of a life of uncertainty and adventure. Yes, yeah, so I don't really know what it will hold, but that's exciting, I think.
0: all we have for today i hope you enjoyed this episode if you did please remember to like comment and follow us on instagram at across rainbows and check out our website www.acrossrainbows.com for more details on nathan or previous guests if you would like to go see Topsy Redfern's Crystal Balls, you can catch it on, in Manchester and in Bristol on the 10th and 11th September at 7.30 at Brewers Manchester or the 12th of September at 6.30 at the Theatre on the Downs. For more details, check out bristololdvic.org.uk forward slash what's on forward slash Topsy Redfern's Crystal Balls or alternatively, check her out on Instagram at TopsyRedfern. So that is all we have for season one. Um, I want to say a massive thank you to Stephen Bamedelli for doing the music and the production and Matthew Davey for doing all the artwork. Without them, it would not have looked or sound as great as I would have done on my own. Um, Given that, we will not be posting for next week, um, but the week after that, we will start season two. Um, We have a great list of guests and I will be starting with myself just to introduce myself a little bit more to everyone I hope Topsy has inspired you and to always believe in who you are and I look forward to seeing you all in about two weeks time and I hope you live every day within your queer ability